I want to apologize from the outset for the sniffles uh, and the nasally voice. The cedar is dominating me. Maybe you too. Um, our text this morning is going to come from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. And um, we're going to continue in our journey through, this, uh, through Luke's gospel this morning. And um, it's a rather long section of scripture this morning. We're going to do something a little bit different for this service. Uh, we're not going to have it up on the, on the screen. I'm just going to invite you to, to listen to me read through it. And I'm going to warn you, it's long and, and I'm not going to rush it. Um, so I'm just going to invite you to, to, to listen to me read. Uh, one of the things that we will discover in the text that we're about to read is that of all the powerful people that are listed in this, really this like first verse or two, um, it is to John, uh, of all people out in the wilderness, that the word of the Lord um, comes. And um, in biblical times, it, it, when God speaks, it usually wasn't through people uh, who had a lot of power, perhaps who had a lot of influence, but it, but it came to people uh, who had learned to listen. And I think that God continues to speak uh, through ordinary men and women, even today, who have learned to listen. So um, before we listen, I'm just going to invite you to just take a moment to be quiet, uh, especially given maybe the last week of of craze and holiday chaos, to just be quiet for a minute and to prepare yourself to, to hear whatever it is that God might have to say to you through Luke's um, gospel this morning. Listen now for the word of the Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene. That's Abilene in Palestine. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Everyone's on the same page. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? And in reply he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. 
And they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved with you, I am well pleased. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious God, for all the reasons that we might have come here today, we're here. And we are seeking a word that only you can speak to us. We're listening. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So for those of you who are, are perhaps more liturgically uh, um, inclined, John the Baptist is typically a figure that we encounter uh, during Advent as we are preparing for Christmas. Uh, his job was to prepare the way for Jesus, and Advent is the time of preparation for us as we kind of enter that journey and we prepare for Christ's arrival as well. So it, it makes sense. But we're in the series on Luke, and, uh, and we encounter John today. And I admit that if I'm going to kind of be, if I'm going to have to endure being scolded by John this close to Christmas, I'd rather do it after I open like all the presents, you know? Like it feels way better to do it now than um, before Christmas. But when I read this, I think of Fleming Rutledge's observation a few years ago that, that not one of us could even stand to be around John for five minutes, right? He's like the rest of the prophets in scripture, light on charm, very heavy on, on judgment, and like the other prophets, he uh, is remarkably clear that what we need to do most is to repent. We need to kind of rethink and reorder our lives uh, according to a new perspective. And we're told, I don't know if you caught it, by Luke without any irony at all that John's message is one of good news. But at first glance, John doesn't appear to have any good news for us, right? I mean, he, he kind of sounds like one of those angry street preachers that you might have seen on, on the campus quad uh, at college, uh, for someone who's supposed to be preparing the way for, for Jesus, he sounds all law and, and no gospel. His primary concern seems to be that his audience has, has understood their relationship with God all wrong. They've completely mis misunderstood it. They think that because of their kind of unique uh, cultural and religious identity that God will kind of somehow tolerate or overlook the way that they are treating their neighbors. 
very poorly. And so he urges them to repent. That's what he says. He pre- he's preaching a message of repentance. So let's talk about, let's talk about repentance for a minute. Uh, I think that the new year is actually a great time to think about and to talk about repentance. I, I don't know about you, but I, I really love this, this time of year. I think, I think I like the idea that something new is always, always possible, always in front of us. And I like to imagine what new things might happen in, in the new year. I also think that repentance, at least for Christians, is a, really, uh, is a really good way to approach the new year, perhaps even a better way to approach the new year than, than resolution. Um, because unlike resolutions, which depend uh, pretty much entirely on our own uh, willpower and effort, you know, at least for the first, like, nine days uh, of the year, repentance is actually the opposite. Repentance always leads us to grace. It always leads us to depend upon a power outside of ourselves. That's where it kind of, it, it begins. And that grace, right, we know that uh, grace has the power to actually transform us, actually cha- change us. There's a, a, on the wall outside of the Karl Barth Center at uh, Princeton Seminary, there's this quote uh, from him that I return to often at this time of year, and I want to share it with you. He writes, one is never a Christian. One can only become one again and again. In the evening of each day, somewhat ashamed about one's Christianity of the day just over, and in the morning of each new day, glad that one may dare to be one all over again, doing so with solace, with one's fellow human beings, with hope, with everything. And hear this. The Christian congregation is of one, of one mind in that it consists of real beginners. It consists of real beginners. I think at the heart of it, this is exactly what repentance is all about, beginning again. It's not, it's not about particularly feeling bad, remorseful, it's not about feeling regret about your life. Repentance is the, actually the moment that we decide to go in a new direction. And in response to John's preaching, repentance, three times he's asked this question, which I love, right? What then should we do? This is a question that I ask all the time when I'm reading the Bible. I don't know about you. I'll read something and I'm like, I, I want to know how to actually do this. And it seems that they are eager to learn that as well. So what then should we do? His reply to this question isn't complicated, if you notice. Uh, It's actually very simple. In each instant, he doesn't tell them to go and do something heroic or extraordinary. He doesn't tell them to sell everything, give everything away. He essentially tells them to be generous, fair, and content in their ordinary lives, right where they actually are. To each one of these different crowds that come and ask him, he customizes that message to where they are actually living, the challenges they are actually facing. And there's one other thing that this his response to them has in common. There's three different groups of people, but he has this one thing in common. People. Relationships. Each one of the things that John tells his audience to do has to do with um, generating right relationships. Did you notice this? About learning to be with and for others. To the crowd, he says, hey, look around you. Are you paying attention to the people who have needs? Are you paying attention to the ways in which you actually can meet those needs by being generous? So pay attention to the people who are around you. To the the tax collectors, and I I love that line that Luke kind of slips into the tax collectors. It's like, even the tax collectors came to be baptized, the most despised in this time. He says, hey, tomorrow morning when you go to collect your taxes, consider the people who you're going to collect from. 
and don't exploit them. Don't take more, than that, more from them than you ought to. But be fair, to be, be just. And then to the soldiers, he says, hey, when you're out on patrol, when you're carrying out your orders, don't bully the people. Don't use your power as a way to dominate other people, but use your power to serve. In each instance, John is just trying to get them to see the people who are in front of them. This is how John prepares us for Jesus' ministry. See the people who are in front of you. And I think that uh, this puts actually a very fine point on what repentance is all about. Right? We often think that repentance is kind of, uh, has to do with a kind of maybe vague spiritual self-improvement, an individual self-improvement. But that's not what John's getting at here. At least for John, repentance has less to do with this kind of personal self-improvement and more about being in right relationship with our neighbors. That's where repentance always is supposed to lead us, into these just and fair and healthy relationships with other people. So I wonder if you were there, if you happened to be in the crowd that day, and you asked, what should we do? I wonder what John would have to say to you. I wonder as you sit at, at the kind of the boundary of this new year, who John might be actually asking you to pay better attention to. A few weeks ago, um, you might have seen this, a story ran in the New York Times about these two women in New York City who uh, raised $12,000. Uh, and with their $12,000, uh, they paid off uh, $1.5 million worth of medical debt through a nonprofit organization um, that buys up these medical debts uh, for pennies on the dollar and then forgives it. This organization, I think, has paid off uh, over $430 million worth of medical debt. Since it, since it started. It turns out, and I had, to do, I had to check this twice after I wrote it, it turns out that Americans owe over $750 billion in past due medical debt. And these two women wanted to make a difference for people who are uh, just buried underneath medical debt. And that's, that's like an amazing story on its own and could probably used, be used for another sermon. But that's not really the point of the story that I want to tell you. What I found um, remarkable about this story is that uh, this nonprofit, this nonprofit that buys up these debts and pays it off, was started by two former debt collectors. After realizing uh, the, the just crushing impact that medical debts were having on millions of Americans, particularly on poor people and veterans, um, and through data analysis, they're able to help particularly those groups of people. Um, after seeing the, the just crushing impact on these people. They decided to, and, and I'm quoting the article here, they decided to flip their mindset. That is repentance literally. Changing one's mind. Going in a new direction is the translation of metanoia, which is the Greek word for repentance. And I think that this is literally exactly what John had in mind when he preached repentance. And repentance can take a lot of different forms. It can be as bold as leaving your job and going to start a, a nonprofit that will directly improve people's lives. It can be that bold. It can also be as simple as setting better boundaries around your cell phone so that you can actually be present and notice the people who are around you, your families, your kids, your spouses. So what might John say to you? What might John be calling you, asking you to repent from into this new year? Be more generous with your resources, 
give them away to people who can stand to benefit from them? Maybe quit stealing time from your spouse and from your children? Treat your employees better, fairer? Or here's one that we could all practice, acting in good faith instead of sarcasm and with snark on the internet. How about use your power? There's a lot of powerful people in this congregation, in this city. How are you using your power to elevate the voices of marginalized people? I want you to notice something, too. The motivation for this repentance is not law, like we might have first suspected from John. I think it actually is gospel. Because it is the good news of the gospel. It's always the good news of the gospel and the work of that good news that frees us to be with and for other people. That's what the gospel does for us. It frees us so that we can actually notice the people around us. We can be with them. We can be for them in ways that Jesus might have been with and for them. I want to close by inviting you to practice something with me in this new year. Uh, one of my, my most uh, regular spiritual practices is, is something called the examine prayer. I know I've talked about this before. You're probably sick of it. I don't care. Uh, it's a great practice uh, created by this, this guy named Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, he's the founder of the, the Jesuit community. And uh, this prayer is really simple, but it's really structured. It's, it's a, a prayer that helps us pay attention to where God's presence might be in our lives over very specific periods of time. So you can practice this every day, in the morning or in the evening, to just kind of look over the past day, notice where you've been, kind of what happened, where God might have met you in that place, um, where God might have greeted you and other people, experiences. It's a great, it's a great prayer. And um, I like to do this every day, but I also like to do a, a New Year's examine that looks back over the year and then looks forward to the next year. And, and like all the rest of the examined practices, it kind of has a couple of questions to help you think about you know, the last six months to a year uh, in your life. Look at the practices and habits you might have had during that time. And then it asks you to look forward. What do you want to do in this next year? And it's got some questions to lead you through that as well. But it has an, another element in it that it, I don't usually do on a regular basis, every day at least. It asks you to look around you and, and who's there Particularly, who's there that uh, is going to, to support you in this new year and in this new endeavor, whatever practices and habits you want to create? You're going to need some support. You're not a, you're not a lone wolf. Um, but secondly, uh, who are the people there that you might uh, need to notice? Who are the people there that you can um, create better habits uh, to be with and for them as well? Um, and I've noticed uh, over the last couple years of doing this that this practice, more than making just resolutions, um, it actually uh, helps me think less about just kind of improving myself. I gave up the gym like nine, ten years ago. Um, uh, it, not just about improving myself, but it actually is about creating habits and uh, practices that lead me into better relationships with other people. It helps me actually be better uh, with and for other people. And the other thing I've noticed when doing this is that it almost always uh, leads me to engage in this practice of repentance. Um, how am I failing at that miserably? And how do I actually need to depend in, uh, on the grace of God to, to, uh, to bring me in and transform those relationships right in front of me? It's a wonderful practice. Um, and I invite you to do, it, to do it with me. Whether or not you're a New Year's resolution kind of person or not, this is a, it's a very quick practice. And I promise you that you can't do it genuinely um, without, without asking some really hard questions about your own life and about the people who are around you. 
Uh, we're going to post it on social media so you can get it there. You can also send me an email and I'll, I'll send you a copy as well. It'll take you 15 minutes. Um, but it's a really great way to start the year. It's a great way to, to start the year not thinking about maybe our own willpower and the ways that we're going to change ourselves this year. It's a great way for us to begin the year with the grace of God, thinking about how that grace might transform us. And particularly how that grace might transform us so that we can be with and for other people for the sake of the one who came to be with and for us. Amen? Would you pray with me? Holy God, gracious God, by your grace to us we are healed, we're changed, we're transformed so that we might be like your son Jesus Christ, men and women truly with and for other people. So in this new year, give us the courage to repent that we might discover your grace that is always at work, making all things new. We ask this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus, who came for us. Amen.